Bible says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, now commandeth all man everywhere to repent. I'm asking you this morning, have you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented of what you've been trusting in and put your full faith and trust in Christ? Bible says, verse number 31, because he hath appointed a day. That's why you need to repent. <laughs> if you haven't already, that's why we preach repentance. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And you, you, you know, a, a Calvinist never has to worry about answering the question, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if they're elect, they're going to heaven. And if they're not elect, then there isn't any reason to even ask the question because they ain't going. And we're going to unpack this morning if that is a doctrine of God and his word or that is a philosophy of men. God gave a command. He commanded all men to repent. You see that in Acts 7, verse 30? He commandeth all men. God gave a command. And he gave a reason why he confirmed that command. Christ rose from the dead. He says he's going to appoint a day in which he's going to judge. And you and I are not. Nobody is going to stand before God and use the excuse by saying, well, I just couldn't believe I just couldn't repent because I was part of the non-elect God you're not going to be able to use no one is going to be able to use that excuse before God the reason you're going to be judged by God is because of your sin not because of your non-election God came to judge sin he came to die for sin and this idea that, well, I'm going to kind of be able to have my out and blame God is what Romans 9 is going to unpack a little bit at least this morning. So why don't we go there? Romans chapter number 9. I trust you have your spot. Uh, you already placed it. So Romans 9, we're moving verse by verse, and we find ourselves in verse number 19. The Bible says, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? There's the question. Just came off of pardoning. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he hath mercy, and will harden his heart. So now we see at the end of verse number 19, first question, why doth he yet find fault? Second question, for who hath resisted his will? See those two questions in Romans 9 19? Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Man constantly argues with God. Always. And mankind will always want to accuse God and blame God rather than themselves. So they're always looking for outs to put the blame on God. And God is putting a rebuke forth on man for daring to judge or question or blame or find any fault with God because God is completely righteous. Who will resist God's will? The bottom line is everybody. 
Everybody's a sinner. Everybody resists God's will. Romans 9 isn't God stating a doctrine of his elect sovereignty. That is not the, that's not a doctrine being stated. He's simply saying you're lost because you're hardened. You've resisted me. All men are sinners. It's not that there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it, it, it's just that you're hardened because of your choice to continually sin. And if you continually sin, you will be hardened and hardened and hardened. You can't place God as responsible for your sin. Because if God's stating his doctrine of just election or non-election, and there isn't anything that you can do about it either way, do you see how you can bring a charge against God? God, you're unrighteous because you said before the foundation of the world that you're just elect to go to hell. Man can charge God. That would be unrighteous. It was the Calvinist said. God can do as he will just to show that he's sovereign. That's not the doctrine of God's word. That's the doctrine that comes from philosophy of men who are good at arguing, who are good at debating, and who are good at writing books. I believe this book. And I don't believe Romans 9 is an argument for Calvinism. I believe it's an argument completely against it. Try to unpack that this morning and this afternoon, Lord willing. Go to Romans chapter number 1. We'll begin to do our deep dive. Romans chapter number 1, look at verse number 16. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation. Everyone who believes Jew first and also for the Greek. Well, let me ask you a question. Was there a time in Paul's life when he was ashamed? Yeah. He didn't have to stay in that condition. Are you saved this morning? Are you not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Before you were saved, guess what you were? Guess what I was? Ashamed. But not anymore. It, there, there was a change. Verse number uh, 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now watch this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Hold the truth in unrighteousness. All men have truth. What do they do? They hold it in unrighteousness. Let's look at verse number 19. Why do they do that? Why do they hold the truth in unrighteousness? Because that which may be known. God declares truth. He declares who he is. And that truth, men hold it in righteousness. And God says in verse number 19 that that truth which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. He has given truth to every man. Man has to make a choice. You want to hold it in unrighteousness or do you want to repent? God puts it on man as his responsibility. You going to trust me or not going to trust me? And your ability to trust God 
is not giving yourself or mankind any type of glory or sovereignty. It's simply explaining the declaration of who God is, how his character unfolds within individual salvation. Look at verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, watch this, so that they are without excuse. Nobody can blame God. He put it right in front of you. But God is not going to force you or me or anybody. God's not going to force anybody to change their mind. Any more than you and I can force somebody to change their mind. You can force outward compliance, but I have yet to meet anybody that can force inward love and force somebody's heart to change. You can't do it. Your heart before God this morning. Have you repented and trust the Savior? Praise the Lord if you have. If you haven't, don't blame God that you're just part of the non-elect. And there's nothing I can do about it, God. No. He made things so you can clearly see them and so that mankind would be completely without excuse. God is not unrighteous at all. It's man to blame. Verse number 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They had a choice to make. You want to glorify him as God or not? Neither were they thankful. Parents, grandparents, you make a meal for your kids, you sit down at the table, you can force them to say thank you for making the meal. Or afterwards, from their heart, they might just say, man, thanks for doing all that work, Grandma. Are you going to be thankful or not thankful? But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. People are lost because they won't glorify God. And if you do all of that, you want a dark heart, God's going to darken your heart. You want a hard heart, God's going to harden your heart. We looked at that with Pharaoh, right? He gave you truth. You hold it in unrighteousness. It's clearly seen. Everybody has enough light from God. And we can't blame him as being unrighteous. Not going to fly with God. Their foolish heart was darkened. God didn't force them to be darkened. They chose darkness and he gave them what they wanted. That's the way. Yes, sir. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed, that's a choice, the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the beast, the four-footed beast and creeping thing. Watch us from uh, number 24. Wherefore, God also, watch this, gave them up. Why? God gave them up not because they were sovereignly declared by him before the foundation of the world to be non-elect and go to hell. He gave them up because 
of their rebellion. That's why he gave them up. To uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Their hearts are to blame, not God. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. To change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator was blessed forever. Amen. God didn't give them up just because it was an eternal decree. Look at verse 26. For this cause, we see the phrase again. God gave them up. He didn't give them up because it was an eternal decree. He gave them up because for this cause. Gave them up in the vile affections. For even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. You want to continue down the same path as you did in verse 25? Okay. I'll give you up to that. That's what you want. I'll give you up. To that. Verse number 28, we see the same thing. Watch it. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they made a choice. It wasn't an eternal decree. God said they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And so God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient. There is a cause and a reason that's specifically laid out in Romans 1 on why God gave them up. And it has absolutely nothing to do with an eternal decree. It has to do with sinful man making sinful choices and their rebellion against God. You know what Paul was before the description in verse 16? He was a persecutor, a blasphemer, and injurious. That's what he was. That's not who he is in Romans 1.16. Now he can claim, hey, I'm not, I am not ashamed. All right, go to 2 Thessalonians. Get some truth from that chapter. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Now let's look at, continue to look at the character of God. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Look at verse Nine, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. So we understand from this verse, people are perishing, right? Why are they perishing? The verse tells us because they receive not the love of the truth. Well, what if they did receive the love of the truth? The verse tells you that they might be saved. Everybody see that? It's a God gives a clear reason as to why. And it has nothing to do with an eternal decree. Look at verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. It wasn't an eternal decree. It was for this cause. God shall send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. God didn't make them believe a lie. 
you want to continue to buy into deception? You want to continue to go down that road? Okay, you don't want to love the truth? Look, I said you might be saved. Okay, you don't want to do that? For this cause, I'm going to send you strong delusion that they believe a lie. You want to follow after liars? God's going to give you more liars. Verse number 12. God is never to blame. There's always a righteous cause. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is why the gospel goes on. Because there's a righteous cause. God has to judge sin and rebel. And if people don't want to repent, don't want to trust Christ, and they want to continue to go down that road, he is a righteous judge and he must punish sin. Thank you, Lord, that he paid my sin debt on the cross. And I can find victory and Christ is now my act. Because if I were to stand there or you were to stand there before God, he would drop every one of us. In because there's no righteousness in us at all. But in Christ, we have an act. Look, there's causes, there's reasons. God explains why he gives up people, why hearts are dark. Why hearts are hardened? He explains why. It has absolutely nothing to do with an eternal decree, and there's nothing you can do. You're totally depraved, but God has made you in such a way that you can know truth, you can retain knowledge, and you can trust Him. You're not going to blame God at your judgment. No one will. Romans chapter number 9. Let's go back there. Romans 9. Romans chapter number 9, verse number 19. That will say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Verse 20, nay, but O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? If someone's heart is hardening, is hardened, doesn't have anything to do with God not choosing you to salvation. And God choosing you to be damned. You know the situation with Pharaoh that we looked at last week? You know that situation wasn't a permanent thing? What do you mean by that? Folks, there were ten plagues. It was a series of ten plagues that played out. Pharaoh ends up saying, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go. Pharaoh said he'd let the people go. But you know what happened? His heart changed. Nah, I ain't going to let him go. Okay, another one. 
And then we have in the account, Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God. His heart changed. And then it changed back. <laughs> and you can see his rebellion play out. And so plague and plague and plague and plague. Makes sense. Read the account. Pharaoh said, I'll let him go. Except he didn't. Oh, except he did, because on the last one, in Exodus 12, Pharaoh says, rise up and get you forth from among my people and go serve the Lord. Pharaoh let them go. It's this back and forth. And you know what it pictures? It doesn't picture an eternal decree. It pictures man's rebellion against the holy God. But those plagues played out. And your rebellious works and my rebellious works deserve hardening. Our hardening, our darkened hearts, our rebellion is because we deserve it. If you harden yourself against God, that's what you're going to get back in return. You're not going to harden yourself against God and then he's going to just force you and make you. No, you turn this way. Because you're elect. He's going to give you. What you want. Well no man seeks after God. Well it says seek you while he may be found. You know there's a such thing as the Holy Spirit. That will draw men. You take that away. You take the character of God away. Nobody gets saved. But we do have a Holy Spirit. That woos and guides and draws. And convicts. Can't take that out of the equation. Pharaoh, rebellious, 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 and he just, that works more darkness and rebellion. Mercy is what you and I don't deserve. We don't deserve it because of our rebellion, yet we receive it. Grace, we receive it. We trust on Christ. He gives us what we don't deserve, which is grace. We don't deserve that. don't serve there's such thing as humility Abraham says that he is but dust and ashes dust is what God made out of ashes pictures man's corruption Abraham when he says that he thinks low of himself that's where man's heart has to be humbled now he's ready to receive grace a hardened heart, a rebellious heart, a dark heart. Law of the proud, law of the proud. Pride keeps you from getting saved. That man starts to humble his heart. He's ready for the grace of God. He's ready for the good news of the gospel. Law of the proud, grace of the humble. Job talks about how he abhors himself and he repents in dust and ashes. He takes the lowest place of humiliation. Compared to God, Job sees himself as just vile. He repents. You know that picture, you know what we do today? We put that ashes that we, we wear black for that time of mourning. That's all that is pictured. That's nowadays we're not putting ashes on ourselves. We go to a funeral, we're gonna mourn with somebody. That outward appearance is showing that there's some internal motion, internal emotions. 
of sorrow, sadness. So it's a, it's a, it's a customary for grief. That's why Job's putting ashes on himself. In Romans chapter 9, let's go and look at verse number. You, you, I want you to count these questions. Look at verse number 19. Why doth he yet find fault? That's one. For who hath resisted his will? That's two. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? That's three. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? You know, lost people are constantly seeking questions to ask you as a believer to just make you feel awkward. They're just lost people. They're just trying to embarrass you by asking you all these questions. And they come in different forms. If God is good, why do bad things happen? They don't really want to know why. They just want to see if they can stump you. If God cares, why doesn't he just stop all the misery and suffering? They don't really care about your misery or suffering. They just want to try to embarrass you because you said you're a Christian. Why does God allow all this to happen? As if they're doing anything about it or involved. They don't care. But what they do care about is trying to stump you and make you look foolish. You know what Paul said? Who are you to ask? You know what Paul said? That's my God. Don't put him on trial. How about I put you on trial? Who are you to ask? Be careful of those things. Allowing lost people to keep stringing you down these line of questionings that they don't even want answers for. God's a righteous God. The Bible says, why hast thou made me thus? People, they just want to blame God. God made me do it. Look, let's go to Acts 2. I want me to show you something. Look at Acts chapter 2. We'll get to this theme of Israel, national Israel. Acts chapter number 2. Let's get down to verse 22. Bible says in Acts 2.22, Ye men of Israel. Pretty clear on the context. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also knew, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. There is a prophecy. That prophecy came to Israel. That prophecy that came to Israel was that Christ would be the Messiah who would die for their sin. That is a determined prophecy from God. In his foreknowledge, God knew he would die. We all agree that, right? No question, no questions there. Does that mean that Jesus made them kill him? We can't make that jump. A prophecy went forth. Well, you see, now we have to blame God. God made them do it. No. 
God doesn't make any individual do anything. Well, I'm not sure about that. Okay, go to Acts 3, and let's see if we get more information about this whole thing in Acts chapter 3. Yes, we agree it's prophesied Christ would die. Acts 3, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his Son, whom ye delivered up and denied. You guys denied him. You delivered him up in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Look at verse number 14. But ye denied the Holy One, the Just One, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life. You guys are murderers. You did. You killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. It looks to me like God had one will. And they had another one. Because they are resisting what God told them to do. God didn't tell them to go, hey, guys, I'm here. Come kill me. The thing played out. The prophecy was fulfilled. But to make that jump and say, well, Christ made them do it. God made them do it. It doesn't say anywhere God made anybody kill anybody. God didn't make them do anything. They delivered. They made a choice. They denied. They desired. They killed. They made a choice to do that. Who hath resisted his will? If we look at Israel as a nation. Can a nation resist God? Stay with me, because the answer is yes and no. No, it can't, because a nation can't. It, it's a nation. What is the dirt and the land and the boundaries? What makes up a nation? People, right? The people within the nation are going to be the ones that resist. Does that make sense? The answer is yes and no. You're dealing with a national entity. And you have borders on that entity. And you have land on that entity. And that land and those borders, I mean, it's inanimate. But the individuals within that nation are making choices. And those people made a choice. And they can resist God's will. God gave them truth so they would embrace it and receive it. Instead, they rebelled and held it in unrighteousness. That's why we have a Savior. Because we can't fix ourselves. In Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7. Look at verse 51. Acts 7, 51. Ye stiff-necked. And uncircumcised in heart and ears. Do you think God's will for their life is to be stiff-necked? 
His will is that all men everywhere would repent. We talk about that in the beginning of the message. So you go out and talk to somebody about Jesus and they stiffen up their neck. I'm not going to turn and repent. I'm... And so you know what God says in verse 51? Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do Those fathers, those people that live and made up that nation did the same. And God says, you are resisting. I don't want you to do that. That is not my will for you. But ye, you always resist the Holy Ghost. And you just sit. You're the charge, not God. You stiff-necked people, he said. Look at verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of justice. Of whom, look at this. Ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. God says, you guys, it's on you. You are a betrayer. You are a murderer. Why hast thou made me thus? Romans 9. What God is saying is, you can't blame me. Ye, 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 ye. You guys are to blame. You can't blame me. I've given you enough life. Close with this. Romans 9. Explains why the Jew needs to be saved. They are lost. They murdered the Messiah. And you can't say to God as a Jew, why hast thou made me thus? You can't say as a Jew, I can't help it, God. Why hast thou made me thus? Instead, that Jew needs to individually come to God and say, God, I am guilty. Please give me mercy. Please give me your grace. Remember in Pharaoh, we talked about that last week. God's purpose was that he would raise him up to show mercy. Rebellion, 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 rebellion. Hardening. Oh, I'll let you go. Nah, no, I won't. Hardening. He finally let him go, and Pharaoh ends up dying and drowned that Red Sea. Right? We talked about all that. But he wanted to show mercy. But he kept hardening his heart. God gave him what he wanted. Hardened heart. Hardened heart. John 12 will be our last spot. And then we'll finish. John chapter number 12. John chapter 12. John 12. Look at this. This is a powerful chapter. Verse 37, John 12, 37, we'll start reading. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Esaias the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe 
Because the Messiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things saith Esaias when he saw his glory and spake of him. We have a situation. We already went through this. Israel doesn't believe Jesus. They won't trust God. Do they have no chance at all? Are they completely locked into fatalism? Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed of him. Nobody was locked into a position. Some believe that nation is in rebellion, but that nation is made up of people. And some of them did believe. And the ones that continued in rebellion, they did not believe. End of the verse. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue to lay up the praise of man more than the praise of God. It's not a question of predeterminism. It's a question of how did they respond to the truth? I know I said the last verse, but I want to do one more quickly and we'll close. Go to Mark 4. And then we'll close with this verse. Mark chapter number 4. The Bible says in verse number 11, Mark 4, 11. Uh, verse number 9, rather. Mark 4, 9. And he said unto them, this is Jesus, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. Jesus is speaking in parables, and he said unto them in verse 11, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now let me ask you a simple, and it's going to be an obvious answer. If people are locked into a fatalistic predetermined non-election where they're damned to hell and there's nothing at all they can do about it? Why would Jesus even need to have to talk in parables? They're not going to understand anything. That makes sense? Yet, he is talking in parables. If nobody has the ability to even say yes, why would Jesus talk to them in parables? The answer is quite simple. The Bible says, seeing that they may see and not perceive, and hearing that they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. You know what it is? People see what they want to see. People hear what they want to hear. People do what they want to do. The question, do you want to see the truth of Jesus? Do you want to hear the truth from God's word? Do you want to do what God would have you to do? You're not locked in. You're not locked in. If you've not trusted Christ, you can see him, you can hear him, you can 
you can trust him. That's what he wants for your life. He wants you to come to him and trust 